to Scary Basement. Each week, me and my friend Roxy are drawn inexplicably and supernaturally to this basement, wherein lurks every scary thing that has ever been, including a vengeful Santa Claus, a gingerbread man with razor-sharp teeth, and a knife, a corpse-shaped present under the tree, and an ornament on that Christmas tree that was a grenade all along. My name is Mikey McCaller. Mikey, a corpse-shaped Christmas present would be the same as a human-shaped Christmas present, right? I guess you don't know until you open it, right? Is this a real living human or is it a corpse? Sounds like somebody was peeking at her gifts. (laughs) I swear I wasn't. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Looking in the closet. (laughs) Who are you? I'm Roxy Polk. Who am I? Who am I indeed? I don't even know anymore. I usually go by Roxy Polk, though. That would have been my guess. Roxy, let's start out, as we always do, with the scariest thing we saw this week. What went down in your life outside of the scary basement that spooked you to your very bones? So mine is video game related, specifically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the game The Outer Wilds. Do you know about this game, Mikey? Is that, it's like a Groundhog Day where you're like, the apocalypse keeps happening and you got to stop it. Yeah, so it's like a game where you play as an alien who has 22 minutes before the universe implodes and they are reset. And so you're trying to Mm -hmm. investigate all these other planets in your solar system and figure out the mystery of why things are resetting and to try and stop that from happening. Mm -hmm. This game, it's absolutely beautiful. The way they piece out like the story with the lore and like the theming with uh, like environmental storytelling is very cool. But Mm -hmm. holy shit, it triggered my thalassophobia so bad, Mikey, which we talked about this before. Thalassophobia is like fear of the depths, which oftentimes refers to underwater or ocean, which it definitely does that because there is an entire ocean planet. It's the first one I went to and it freaked me the Mm -hmm. fuck out. And then also just the emptiness of space and like having to maneuver in this environment and then just like the way the gravity and rotation of things work. If you get separated from your ship or you're just out in space, you are just out in space floating and dying. It's like making my hand sweat just like thinking about it. (laughs) That is very scary. And also like there's lots of times where you're walking on walls and then there's just like a black hole below you. So if you step the wrong way, you're going to fall into the black hole and who knows what the fuck happens to you. So it (laughs) gave me a fear of heights and falling that I maybe I always had but never was able to experience until I played this game and it like happened to me constantly. And Roxy, <laughs> it's scary. There are not a lot of video games that can induce a phobia in you that you did not have going into it. Yeah. That's impressive. <laughs> and not only that, like timers in video game like timers in general, but like in video games, they give me a lot of anxiety. So every time I'm like, okay, I got twenty two minutes, I gotta do this thing. Oh my god, it takes me like forever to try and maneuver on this planet and not die. <sighs> And then I've got, like, what, 10 minutes after that, 15 minutes after I maneuvered that and got here. And then, oh, no, I slipped and fell into a black hole upside down. And I can't see what's going on. Now I'm dead. <laughs> so, yeah, I... You like to you like to lollygag. You like to take your time, see the sights. I get it. So it is, like, a beautiful game. It looks beautiful. There, There isn't a ton of music, but the music they do have in it is really great. There's, like, other mm. aliens of your species who went out to travel, and they each have, like, a different musical instrument. So you can, like, use a sound finder thing to try and find them on these other planets. And I tried once to go see how far in space I could go away from the explosion to see if it was, uh, like, location-based, if I could avoid it. So I mm-hmm. went so far out that the sun was just, like, a little dot that you couldn't even see where it was anymore. But it makes all of the 
different characters instruments line up to be a cohesive song that was like really cool that you could just hear this song from the edge of space which was a very beautiful cool thing to do but then it still blew me up and i died (laughs) so okay (laughs) even enjoy there's fear yes yeah exactly so it it very much feels like a game about conquering your fears um and when i went into it i was like this is gonna be a chill exploration game right not not at all no but i would still i would still recommend it it's very good um, but what happened to you this okay. week, Mikey? What what scared the you? The scariest thing to me was a, a concept that was not told in a scary way, but a, an idea that got deep into my bones. I was listening to an episode of This American Life entitled okay. Setting the Record Straight. And the beginning of this episode, there's a story that ends with somebody sitting in the backseat of their Uber right? The Uber Mm -hmm. has picked them up and they're driving away. And then they get a phone call, Roxy, from their Uber driver who says, I'm here. Where are you? This this is why I never use Uber or Lyft or any of these car sharing services, because you are just getting in a stranger's car. Even if it is your appointed driver, it's still a stranger's car. Uh, The fact that you could get into the wrong one and this person is just like, okay, chill. I'm going to like abduct this person. terrifying what ended up happening was it was uh, a man who was trying to hook up with somebody and he saw the guy like waving for him the story was actually told from the point of view of the driver and oh. there's a man who's trying to hook up with somebody and he saw the guy like waving and he went and picked him up he's like hey hop in and he hopped into the back seat and he was just like oh, well he's, he like, just, oh, he's afraid of getting outed so he like leaned down and and hid so it was like he just had to pretend to be an uber driver for the rest of the drive because he realized what had happened but that's horrifying. That's such a that's got such a real life. Wait, wait, uh, hang on. Uh, what was she, the what was the relationship between these two guys? Nothing. The, the guy the guy on the street had called an Uber and thought when a car came looking for him that, that was his Uber and he kind of just waved and he okay. got in. And then the the driver thought this was his hookup, so he's like, "Oh, this okay, is the guy who okay. I'm going to go have sex with." So he just like picked him up and oh. as he was dro- like they're just like making like, small con- small talk, but it's like kind of awkward. Uh, yeah. And then he realizes what's going on. Okay. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's more embarrassing than anything. But oh, yeah, God. that's like the optimal I situation hate... where it's just like, oh, this was just a mix up. And both people are not serial killers and they're they part ways and be like, this was a silly mix right. up. That's fine. Yeah. They explained it with a glitch. He just said like, yeah, sometimes sometimes they send two cars. It's a it's a glitch that's happening now lately. Uh, whoops. Anyhow, goodbye. Yeah, very he, he safe. Home. Very safe. <laughs> Gave him a free ride. <laughs> Gets him might as well at that point, right? Speaking of a free ride, you know who I think we've been given a free ride, Roxy? It's the demon bot. I, I was wondering he's, if that's who you were going to say. He's riding our coattails. <laughs> the only really. thing he can do at this <laughs> point. Nobody else is giving him a platform but us, Mikey. So, you know. I hate He, he Anyways, can start his he own comes. podcast, but he doesn't. That's on him. He's leeching off of our podcast. Mikey and Roxy, do you know what podcast hosting rates are like? And editing is so difficult and time-consuming. Podcast editors deserve more appreciation, in my opinion. Anyway, this week you were assigned the 1993 film The Nightmare Before Christmas, directed by Henry Selick. Did you watch the film? Roxy, I did watch The Nightmare Before Christmas. Did you watch it as well? I most certainly did. Then you may keep your souls. For now. Printed away. Coward. Roxy, I think he was embarrassed. We He's just scared of starting his own podcast and accomplishing his dreams. I get it. Yeah, he's got that fear of success, um, which is probably why he hasn't killed us, even though he could at literally any Truly, time. Truly, you know, I 
I am wondering that every day, but didn't want to say it out loud in case he decided to get an idea in his head. But since he left the room, I feel like we can safely talk about it. Yeah, why doesn't talk he? About it. he kind of chooses not to. Roxy, we watched The Nightmare Before Christmas. If there's anybody mm-hmm. up at the scary basement cellar door who has not seen this film, I would say we should give them a quick plot recap so they know what happened. What do Let's you say? do it. Yeah, yeah. All right, we open up in Halloween Town, a place where ghouls and ghosts and various other spookeries sing about the successful scares they have just inflicted upon the world this most recent Halloween. We're also introduced to the leader of Halloween Town, one Jack Skellington, the Pumpkin King. We also meet Sally, a stitched-together Frankenstein kind of girl looking to escape from her maker, the nefarious Dr. Finkelstein. Jack Skellington is forlorn, you see. The man is just so inherently scary. Planning Halloweens has grown too easy. And so during a wandering through the woods, Jack comes across trees with holiday-themed doors. He finds a four-leaf clover, turkey, Easter egg, and even a Christmas tree. Jack crosses this threshold into the Christmas tree zone and finds himself inside Christmas Town, a magical snowing little world where elves work as hard to make the children merry on Christmas as the ghouls work to make the children terrified on Halloween. Jack rushes back to Halloween Town to tell his fiendish followers of this new place. It's here that Jack decides he'll usurp the leader of Christmas Town, Sandy Claus as he calls him, and do a Christmas himself. Various ghouls are given tasks to make their Christmas happen, including making toys and assembling a sleigh full of reindeer. These maniacal monsters, however, just don't get that Christmas is supposed to be merry, so they create frightening toys and skeleton reindeer. Here, Sally has a vision, wherein a flower she's pulling the petals from, doing a real lame little he-loves-me-he-loves-me-not sort of deal for Jack, who I guess she has feelings for. In any event, this flower that she's pulling changes into a Christmas tree and then bursts into flames. Sally takes this as an omen and resolves to stop Jack from doing a Christmas. Yeah, apparently she has, like, the power of foresight or something and is never brought up again. It's just for this scene. It's uh, something I did not remember until this watch through. But Jack has already committed hard to this whole Christmas thing, dressing up in red pajamas, putting on a fake beard, and sending three trick-or-treaters, Lock, Shock, and Barrel, to kidnap Sandy Claus. While they initially return with the Easter Bunny, the trio eventually gets it right and returns with the real Santa. Jack takes a big guy's hat, and now his costume is complete, and he's off to do a Christmas. As Jack delivers the horrifying Halloween Town version of Christmas presents to screaming and crying children, Lock, Shock, and Barrel deliver Santa Claus to the monstrous Oogie Boogie, who gets off on torturing him, I guess. Sally attempts to save Santa, but ends up captured herself as well. Meanwhile, the United States government realizes <laughs> the Santa delivering toys this Christmas Eve is an imposter and decides to shoot him out of the sky. Missiles ravage Jack's sleigh, and when he is eventually shot down, he realizes the error of his ways. He should not have tried to do Christmas. He's the Pumpkin King. Isn't that enough? As the mayor of Halloween Town announces that Jack has been killed, again, by the United States government, Oogie Boogie threatens to kill Sally and Santa Claus. Jack returns to save them just in time and defeats Oogie Boogie by unraveling his cloth exterior, revealing Oogie to be a pile of bugs acting together as one being. With the bugs all squished, Jack apologizes to Santa, who immediately books it on out of there to go save Christmas. And so Christmas is saved by Santa, who gives actual presents to all the children wronged by Jack. 
before returning to Halloween Town to give Jack the gift of a little snowfall. And then Jack decides he loves Sally, and then it's over. The end. That's that it. That is a nightmare before Christmas. Roxy, this movie was a real nightmare before Christmas to watch. Oh, you did not like it? Nah. Really? Okay, I was yeah, not expecting it was that. Kind of a slog. A slog. Okay, it's a very short movie because it's like a, a animated kids movie. Um, yeah, did it, you have it, to it like, pause it several times or something? No, I was just like, why aren't we trimming down these scenes? I feel like so many scenes would like start super early, and then like we just see like Jack has to walk into the scene. It's like just start the scene with it already in motion. Like it just felt very like padded and long. And, you know, I'm a bit of a rules hound when it comes to movies. Okay. This movie's rules are wonky. This movie's rules are all over the place. Uh, In what way? So I think the the thing that would have helped this movie the most for me is opening with a real world Halloween. So we could see what Mm. it looks like when Jack Skellington and his buddies do a Halloween. Yeah, There's that would have lot... been really cool because they're just talking about the things that they did. Exactly. You don't really see There's a lot of, of talking about what they did in this movie, especially in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Dr. Finkelstein, when we first meet him, he rolls over to Sally is like, you put sleep shade in my soup. And it's like, well, let's just see that scene. <laughs> like we're in, a, we're in a visual medium. Let's just go see that. Uh, yeah, like, like she's kind... already out and about or something. And then he accosts her with it. And you're like, wait, what? Right. Uh, so it exactly. takes like a couple extra steps to understand what her situation is. Um, and then right. you see her drug him again later when it's like, we should have yeah. seen that earlier. And then this should be the time when you gloss over it yep. to, for time. <laughs> so, yeah. Yep. But so I was just very confused a lot of the movie as to like what they're doing, why, what it looks like to like, I thought there was going to be something where like we go out on Halloween, and we scare the children, and they giggle about it because children like being scared on Halloween. And we see that, like, he's actually making kids happy, like, by doing his job correctly on Halloween. And then when he goes and tries to do a Christmas, he's making kids cry because even though he's doing the same thing, the context has changed and he's hurting them. And we, because we don't get what the successful Halloween looks like, it's hard to kind of compare it against what an unsuccessful Christmas looks like, even though I guess we kind of know what an unsuccessful Christmas looks like. Yeah, you get this uh, scene on Halloween after they do the opening song and they're talking about the things that they did where everyone is like, oh, man, Jack, you're the coolest. You make flesh ooze and skin crawl or something. They're like uh, accosting him the way that like rabid fangirls would, uh, even though there's like all... all (laughs) all assortments of demons and ghouls coming after him. And he's kind of like, oh, uh-huh, great, okay, cool. And so it isn't until the mayor, like, distracts him and he's able to get away that he does the song about his depression or right. <laughs> lack of motivation. Is- um, but so you have all these people telling you, the viewer, that Jack is really good at these things and that their Halloween was really good and they did a thing. But yeah, we're not really yep. seeing that. Which, like, with claymation, write- maybe if they're trying to, like, you know save on time or sets or trying to think of a way to shortcut it like sure i could have some amount of like understanding for that but it's more like you you spent all this time and effort on other things where you could have not i guess right yeah it was very it felt flabby and can i tell you what movie this actually made me think a lot of that like made me really appreciate um was monsters inc 
Okay. This movie made me love Monsters, Inc. Because, like, they have a pretty complex set of rules, too. It's like, uh, Mm -hmm. our job is to go scare children, and we get their screams, and that's our economy. (laughs) Like, that powers Uh our world. And then they find out that uh, screams and laughter are interchangeable, and, in fact, laughter maybe gives them more power. And so they kind of go through this, like, really clear arc of, like, we should make kids laugh instead of making them afraid. And with this, I was like, what what do they eat? <laughs> like, like what, what, what do you eat in Halloween Town? Like, why do you, well, why I think do you, you can have a do certain, a Halloween? I think you can have a certain amount of disbelief when you're dealing with, like, a kid's movie and an animated movie in, like, a fantastical world, dealing with all these things that are not, like, realistic, obviously. So I'd say some of that I can, like, wave away. But the thing that got to me the most that is probably bringing up other things to you is, like, Jack, who was our main character, his arc feels really messy and unresolved for me, so it makes you think yeah. about other things. Like, he starts out being like, I want to do something different with my life. Like, people only know me for scaring things and think that's the only thing I'm capable of, and, like, sure, I can do that, but that doesn't really bring me joy anymore. Like, I want to do something different. Uh, so mm-hmm. he's, like, kind of... It, it's a very relatable problem that he has, even more so for, like, adults than, like, kids. Like, it's very easy to be like, yeah, I've been doing this, like, office job for, like, 10 years, and, you know, I didn't see myself being here or I thought I'd be somewhere else or, you know, like, what do I even do anymore? Do I just keep doing the same thing until I die? Uh, like that kind of existential dread and like the depression of wondering if your life is fulfilling or could be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. Like that's a very relatable thing. And it ends with him like trying this new thing, going whole ham on it. You know, he does get very blind to this quest without really thinking about a lot of the details or approaching, like, Christmas where Christmas lives. He's approaching it, like, from his own perspective, which causes a lot of Mm -hmm. issues. But, like, at the end, when he gets blown up, (laughs) he's just like, "Eh, well, I'll just be the Pumpkin King again. I'm happy with that now. (laughs) It's a really weird transition where, like, he doesn't deal with, like, his depression or feelings of inadequacy or anything like that. He doesn't realize he necessarily did something all that bad. He's just like, I just want to do a nice thing for people. Sure, but you didn't in the grand scheme of things if you can look at it that way. So he doesn't really seem to come to any self-actualization or realization. He just decides to go back to doing what he was before. So is the message of the movie, don't chase your dreams and try to be different (laughs) and do something different that in riches your life just stay in the same rut and do the same thing you've always yeah. been doing that's what's supposed and to if make you, you fail, happy if you fail just one time at trying uh-huh. something new that's head it on back time yep. to retreat yeah never try it again never try it again just go back to what you yeah. were good at don't try and grow which is like I, I never picked up on this the first time i watched this movie i think because when you're a kid you're distracted by a lot of just the aesthetics and like the catchy songs all the songs are really fun yeah you don't you're not really thinking about this so it's very interesting to be watching this as an adult to be like oh they're dealing with some actual like more mature themes than i would have thought and then i was like wow they fumbled it so completely they gave a mm-hmm. negative message in my opinion for kids to take <laughs> right. away from this it just it this movie feels more like a proof of concept than a movie to me mm. It's like, because you're right, the songs are great. It looks, I mean, amazing. Here's the thing. It's the visuals are so good. Like, just, you can enjoy it just for the animation alone. Like, with all my complaining about whatever, like, you could just look at it and enjoy that. I, I think you're right. Technically, there is nothing that makes me more unsettled than mm. claymation. I really hate the way claymation looks. Roxy, this is probably the scariest movie we've watched yet. For a lot of these are like movie. models, too. They're not like as amorphous. Some of the characters have more like malleability and like obvious claymation to yeah. them than others. Um, 
Because this is by uh, Henry Selick, who is the guy who did Coraline and James and the Giant Peach and everything. Hmm. They do have armatures and, like, kind of puppets that they manipulate, as well as um, mm-hmm. claymation aspects, but... But yeah, it might it might specifically anyway, be the way that like stop motion moves, like the yes. herky jerky movements. Like I I have zero affection for any characters in this movie, and not really? for any fault of their own, because okay. it's just, just like so they terrified. creep me out so much. They're just Aww. I'm just like so unsettled by all of them. Oh, that's too it's bad. Tough. I can totally understand yeah. why why you would feel that way, and why probably a lot of other kids did when they saw this too. Mm. It was definitely Who are your not characters that you love in this movie. I mean, like, I really like Jack initially just because I think I'm enamored with his design. I think he's got a really cool design. I like how lanky he is. His face is very expressive because he's just like a skeleton. Mm. So he's just got like giant eyes and a giant mouth that you can... The way they manipulate it to show different emotions is very cool. Like, I I love the expression sheet that you would have for his character uh, based on how much yeah, they exaggerate him with. Um, but then seeing, like, watching this again, he's kind of a jerk. And, like, everybody's <laughs> just puffing him up, and he doesn't learn anything by the end of it. And then, like, <laughs> Sally, who goes to bat for him and tries so hard. Like, Sally is working so hard behind the scenes to be like, I don't think this is going to turn out well. I don't, you're not listening to anything anybody's saying. Um, And she loves him. And he, at the end, he's just like, oh, I didn't notice you were actually here and have affection for me. Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess I like you, too, for some reason now. So, like, he has the audacity in the song to sing, it's clear and obvious to everyone that we belong together. And I was like, no, it's not. Yeah, it's really not. Like, Sally wanted that, but, like, Jack doesn't really value her opinions or listen to her. She's Mm -hmm. trying, she's doing so much, like, emotional and physical effort to try and stop things from unraveling. Um, So, Mm -hmm. like, I came away from this with, like, I like Sally. But I, I also feel bad for Sally for everything she's going through. And then having Santa at the end acknowledge it to be like, she's literally the only one with any common sense here. The rest of you are a bunch of idiots. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> so like Santa being I, able to kind of look at this and also be like, what the hell were you doing? Okay, I'll fix everything magically, you dumbass. And then does it. Right. He um, just does it. Uh, I would say the Sally storyline like, overall gets, is a giant bummer. Yes, it, it is. It just feels like... Like, why? I don't know why she likes Jack. I thought they were doing, and I was kind of like intrigued by this. Like, once she sees her little future vision, which is lame and clearly just like, oh, never, we need to just move the story forward. Yeah, she has like, to have she, a she has future vision. Now. Like, she's a Frankenstein who is put together with like <laughs> leaves. Her, her stuffing is leaves. And so, like, her That's creator cool. treats her like a child who is not ready to go out into the world. So he, like, closes her up in this castle, doesn't let her closes her up in his lab doesn't let her have any freedom she has to literally poison him just so she can go outside and do anything for herself right it's and so it's a true bummer it seems like, like jack seems- is the star of the town so she has a crush on him because he's supposed to be like the cool guy that everybody looks up to not so much mm-hmm. of her actually knowing him and interacting with him and that's why she cares for him so it's well, very it much she's like they were from acknowledging that Mm-hmm. It seemed like when she has her vision, it seemed like they were acknowledging, like, all of a sudden she's working in opposition to Jack. Yeah. And I thought it was going to be about her arc of going from, like, one dominating male figure to the next. And it's, like, Jack is not that different than Dr. Finkelstein in terms of, like, what we know about him. Uh, He's not, and, and like, what, controlling, what but can, he is, like, just so set on his well, own thing that he doesn't care. What we so. imagine their relationship could possibly be mm. is not going to be, like this grand change 
So I thought when she starts working against him to stop him from doing Christmas, I'm like, oh, they're going to realize like she's going to realize like, oh, I have to stop Jack. He is my adversary. I thought she was going to be the villain that like he would have to stop or he would come to her side by the end of it. And then he would learn something by like, oh, my friend has pointed out how bad Christmas is. But they don't. They introduce Oogie Boogie very late. Yeah, just because they needed a villain so they couldn't have like, because they were like, we can't make Jack the villain. We can't make Sally the villain because we want them to be likable main characters. So we need a third party. Mm -hmm. And also like we can't make uh, Santa the villain. So we have to make another villain who is like a third party who is just Oogie Boogie who... (laughs) He he is a very cool design and very He's threatening, cool. yeah. and I I like his character, but he just also doesn't feel like he fits, or that they just kind of introduced him to solve a problem, right? That doesn't really does, work when you think about it it. it. it gets more into my like rule problems because I remember I was writing down like why is Oogie Boogie the bad kind of scary when this whole town is based on being scary? Yeah. And we kind of yeah. don't really get that. They kind of just tell us that, like, Oogie Boogie's different. And I'm like, why? How? He's just... Maybe it's because he's, he's like, not afraid to victimize the townspeople. Like, he's not just scaring humans out in the real world. He wants to scare the townspeople and be bad to them, mm-hmm. too. So I guess that's the only kind of distinction he seems to have because he's fine with trying to get rid of Jack because he apparently wants to take over Halloween Town. Like, I think his angle is he just wants to be in charge, I guess. And so we've got the little trick-or-treaters who are little shitheads who they help him as well, but then they automatically, Mm -hmm. they just turn on him on a dime and don't have any repercussions for, like, doing bad things later. They're just like, oh, these these little kids, these little rascals, it's fine. Oogie Boogie got melted into bug mush. <laughs> uh, so and don't worry about end, it, I guess. Jack is, like, fighting Oogie Boogie as though it's fucking Aladdin and Jafar, and it's, it's like, a Oogie very Boogie cool, like, really sequence, has no conflict like, with Jack. Yeah, it looks amazing, but it's just, like, when you think about it, he's just doing it to save Santa and Sally. Like, that's the only reason why. So it's right. not, like, they're they've been at odds or opposed this whole time um the mayor makes more of a big deal about how like oh you shouldn't have these trick-or-treaters here because they're oogie's boys like they're they're in league with oogie boogie who is bad so it's like the mayor who is saying Mm -hmm. that's a problem but jack is like no it's fine and like gives these uh horrible children a very important job without thinking about how much they're gonna fuck it up um Roxy, I have a big nightmare before Christmas question for you. Okay. As we're sitting here talking about this movie, this movie, great aesthetics. I feel like it's an affront to me personally through its story. What do you think it is about this movie that like has given it this cult following? I feel like there are adults who have tons of tattoos and like just lionize this movie. What do you think it is that makes it so important to so many people? So I have a lot of uh, several several reasons I can go into, but I think one of the big reasons is it's got this like creepy gothic s- aesthetic, and it is like a traditional kids musical. So it is something with a completely different like darker aesthetic, dealing with more adult themes, even if it doesn't land them, uh, compared mm-hmm. to any other kids media at the time that I can think of. Especially like in mm. a musical of all things, you know. Normally you think of oh okay, Little Mermaid, that's a kids musical. Uh, but also, so is this movie. So I think it appealed to a lot of kids who felt like outsiders or who liked that goth aesthetic, who maybe felt like mm. they didn't fit in, who, you know, wouldn't naturally gravitate towards Ariel. They'd gravitate more towards Sally. Like, that's an aesthetic they like. And there's not a lot of that. examples of that, that that they could gravitate towards, especially if you were 
a kid not being shown a lot of things that might be your only example of something different like this. So I think mm-hmm. it, it gets ingrained in a lot of people, especially when they're younger and not thinking about some of the finer tuned things to this to kind of champion it and have rose colored glasses about it. Like I was surprised that, cause I really liked this movie as a kid and look, looking at it now mm-hmm. as an adult, noticing all these things, I was like, man, I, I didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> um, and I really like this. Like, it's kind of setting a bad example in terms of following your dreams and all that. Right. So I think that's part of it. I think also just, like, the music by itself is really good and, like, catchy and memorable. So it's something that will, like, stick in your brain and could be, like, chi- cherished childhood memory um, that you can just, like, kind of think about how catchy the songs were and not really think so much about the storytelling behind all of it. I was looking up a couple of other reviews, some people being like, oh, I thought Jack and Sally's romance was very cute and innocent and, like, it's great. And I was like, "Mm, you're an adult saying this. Like, they barely even interact. And it's not like he dismisses her and doesn't appreciate her. And so it's just at the end when he decides maybe he should appreciate her. So, like, I could could see maybe them building something off of that in the future. But it's like, no, they're just all in and they kiss at the end and then that's it because they needed to have a romantic subplot. You know, right? Uh, which sucks, especially with showing Sally pining and her entire character is about helping Jack. You know, she right. wants to get out of her house for herself, but she's more than anything. She wants to get out of her house to help Jack is what it feels like, which I don't like right. how that's her entire character is Not being good. in service to this male Not character good. who doesn't appreciate her even until the end. So, like, maybe if they yeah. wanted to work towards something or show something like that, but it's just like, no, we're shortcutting it. So, Hurtful. I mean, that's. That's some of my thoughts. I could probably keep going. What about you? Do you agree with those? Do you have any other thoughts you could think of? Um, I truly was struggling, but I think that outsider's claim makes a lot of sense. The idea that like you could connect with this very easily. But I also think that there's something to be said for like the people who love gothic stuff and the people who love Disney stuff are yes. both very passionate about both. So any overlap, mm, overlap of that Venn yeah. diagram uh-huh. is passionate as fuck for this bad boy. That would be my guess. Yeah, no, I think that that agree that I agree with that a lot, <laughs> especially because it well, has Roxy- been like merchandise to hell and back because that's what Disney does. So it's that whole Disney adults thing and capitalizing on your nostalgia, like things feel like they're on fire every single week. There's a new thing going on, it feels like. So it's very nice to be able to look back at the thing that made you happy as a kid when things mm-hmm. maybe made more sense or at least were less on fire and kind of th- uh, treasure that memory and then be like, oh, okay, well, now I want to buy like a set of pajamas and a mug and a figurine mm-hmm. and a Christmas tree ornament or whatever. That'll that make me sweet. feel better. Roxy, let me tell you a little nightmare before Christmas story before we give our rakings. Oh. When I was in, uh, before I went to art school, I took one year at community college and did take a drawing class there. And there was this girl who had red hair and wore a stocking hat all the time. And we would always have homework that was like, it was like a still life kind of drawing class, like a representational drawing class. Uh huh. And multiple times we took our homework and she came back with like ballpoint pen drawings of Nightmare Before Christmas characters. Okay. And everybody else was like drawing bowls of fruit. Yeah, because teacher, that was the assignment. <laughs> our teacher was like... Why have you done this multiple times? <laughs> she was like, I don't know. I just, I needed to do something. I was like, maybe she, the first time it was just like, uh, I didn't have time to do it. So I just brought a drawing I made, but she kept doing it. And they were like new drawings. Yeah, I think. So she me and Mikey went to college as well at the same time. And there was, 
Uh Uh, another person who did this in like my drawing class as well where it's like you were paying 20 grand plus a year to be here (laughs) and you were literally not doing the assignment you were drawing an anime person or using copic (laughs) markers when we're supposed to be using like pastels and it's like i get that you like the thing you like and you want to be passionate about it and you want that to be your identity but like what are you paying to be here for if you're doing that? Like, you can learn about how to do Copic markers by yourself. The class is about learning how to do pastels. Like, I have an anime sketchbook too, girl. I don't I don't know what you're doing, but <laughs> you're wasting your money. I'm sorry. <laughs> Roxy, what do you think about Dr. Finkelstein? And about how he can only interact with people who have his exact brain. Like, he can't. He literally has to build a wife that is half of his brain because he can't interact with other people. He has to be so controlling. I like, know people like that. And and the way the movie treats it, like, Sally looks over, sees that he has made a creation that is, like, a uh, gender-switched f- version of himself, who is now his <laughs> wife, I guess. Looks at that, doesn't say, like, goodbye or deal with any of the issues they had the entire movie. They don't have any mm-hmm. sort of send-off. There's no sort of cap on that to talk about how controlling he was. Because, like, he cares about her... But also doesn't believe she has autonomy in the same way like a normal adult would. He treats her like a child who is not ready to leave home and worse. Because he created her through an experiment. Um, Right. It it raises an interesting question that I would love to hear your answer to. Like, Roxy, does Dr. Frankenstein own his monster? Is that his property? That's a good question. I think if you give it a brain and it gets sentience, you do not. But that doesn't mean that's not how he views it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, which I think is one of the reasons why he's so controlling. But then he he goes from being so controlling to just being like, okay, well, I give up. I'll just make a clone version, gender swap version of myself that I can fuck, I guess, presumably, maybe. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> um, and my surrogate daughter, I'll just never talk to her again. We'll never resolve this. I guess she's going to go live with Jack because now they're a couple or something. Like, she doesn't get any resolution to that. It just cuts to them having their romantic song about ending up together at the mm-hmm. end after she sees that this is that situation going on over there and right. just opts She out, just lets it happen. Um, and I will say, the, the best part about this movie are a lot of its images, right? Like, I think of the iconic image of Jack walking up the hill in front of the moon. Um, a lot of the, like, Christmas time, like, him with the beard and, like, delivering sleigh, uh, presents, rather, with the, the bone skeletons. But one of the most iconic images of this movie is that doctor cutting out half of his brain and putting it in another lady. It's very scary and, like, visceral and, like, a very cool, creepy image. But you're exactly right. They just there's so little like effort put into this story that they're just like, yeah, he just, he resolved Sally's story by just pretending he was done. Like, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. He had like, this desire even... to keep her locked in. Yeah. And he just moves on. And I feel like that's so many threads in this movie, which is sad because you were talking about how you felt like it was kind of padded or something. And it's like, they spent time mm-hmm. on the wrong things. Whereas like yes. they should have resolved Jack's arc with his desires better. they should have resolved Sally's situation and her drive better. If the doctor was upset about his, his uh, surrogate daughter being like this, like he should have come to terms with like what he was doing to her and then move on or something. Mm-hmm. Um, or she or should just, have killed him. I mean, I wouldn't have been opposed to that either. He was shitty. (laughs) Um, That would have been cool. And then stuff with Santa Claus and like Oogie Boogie also like, you know, him just kind of showing up. If they had shown Oogie to be more of an in opposition to Jack or like mentioned that even instead of other things that they mentioned (laughs) like earlier, 
Like, oh yeah, Oogie wants to take over the town, so that's why we gotta keep him in this, uh, like, cave on, or whatever this structure on the outside of town is, so that he doesn't try and mess things up for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be great. So, stuff like that, like, uh, and also how they interact with the human world. How do they escape from, like, like, the optics of how they move between the different worlds is never shown except for him falling through the door, but then it's like, how does he get back? Because he goes through, like, a warp tunnel and then just falls out of the sky. <laughs> And again, that's well, where also, I'm like suspending my disbelief because in... it's a children's movie and there's magic happening and all sorts of weird stuff. But then, but when you think about it, thing. like it's how like do halfway, that? it's like halfway between like uh, uh it's it's like I I don't know. I tend to bristle against the idea like it's a children's movie. We should get it like no, a children's movie has to be more clear. It has to be more like does, obvious. Yeah, like, this I, is our real world and this is the Halloween world. But they have kind of this third option where in the Nightmare Before Christmas universe. Santa is real, and the United States government has sanctioned him <laughs> to come mm, yeah, give us uh-huh. presents. And when there's an imposter, like, the news is reporting on Santa Claus in this yep. world. It's like, so this is like a whole nother, like, confusing set of rules mm-hmm. that I'm just like watching. I'm just like, what do you mean? What do you what Yeah, do you like, mean I, I want to reiterate here. I don't want to minimize it. Like, kids' movies should make as much sense. They should be clear. It, you can't excuse anything it, just be, by saying that as a general term. But I guess it's, like, because they're dealing with magic with these seasons. So you can point to a lot of stuff and be like, oh, it's just, like, magic. So you can just kind of, like, mm-hmm. not have to explain it. But then you talking about this thing, like, actually, in the real world, the government knows about Santa. Like, what? That's <laughs> weird. Like, then it presents right. things like that where you have to think about it and you have to deconstruct, like, okay... How does that make sense? <laughs> is it oh. just for fun? Or, like, are we building a world here that we have to really think about, like, how everything fits together? It's tough. And let's sum up specifically how tough we think this movie is. Roxy, on a scale from one to five thumbs, remember, we can go over two thumbs because we have a big box of hands here. Mm-hmm. Hold up some more thumbs. What would you rate this movie out of five thumbs? Okay, so despite how hard I was going on this movie... <laughs> I'm still going to mm-hmm. give it a three because I think wow. overall it's pretty enjoyable. Uh, I'm not someone who likes musicals, but, you know, I generally like this movie. The theming stuff would hit a lot harder as an adult if they actually followed through with it. If, if anything, <laughs> it made it way more depressing. But like the skill with which this movie was made in terms of just the claymation, the animation, the music, bringing everything together like it's such a spectacle to behold that is still enjoyable so even though a lot of this other stuff i'm just like that is just like the you should have figured this out at the writing stage so people didn't spend three mm-hmm. years animating some of this stuff that doesn't make sense <laughs> i can still enjoy enough of it by turning my brain off that i can give it a three out of five what about you Mikey? i get that my score is is a uh, similar reason slightly less i enjoyed it slightly less i said two thumbs up just okay. my regular two thumbs because you're right, like a, a lot of this is super, like the songs are great. I am somebody who does love musicals, and What's This is a classic. Mm-hmm. I was singing along when I was watching this this time around, Mike. <laughs> it truly was. It's great. And there are a lot of good jokes in this. Like, mm-hmm. a, Jack doing Christmas science is very funny. Like, mm-hmm. he, they have this whole bizarre little <laughs> sequence where he's just, like, on a chalkboard doing math, and he's just, like, 12 divided by 25. Uh, very silly. Very funny. There's, like, just so many good moments. I just, for me, they did not hang together into a story. Left me disappointed. Kind of discombobulated. Mm. 
running my brain trying to process it and ended up being not super enjoyable. But what was enjoyable were a couple individual moments. Like, I think this is a great movie on YouTube. I think if you show me the sequence where Jack is doing science and uh, a couple of the songs on YouTube, I'm like, yeah, this is fun. Hey, this there's also a good dog in this movie. We haven't even talked about Zero, but there's a good ghost dog in this movie. He's cute. Uh, the dog didn't, dog didn't work for me. I was like, what? He's really? Rudolph now? Why? <laughs> what because, are you talking about? Just, just because you designed him with a glowing light <laughs> for a nose? What's happening? <laughs> Okay, well, fine. You didn't like the cute little ghost dog. I get it. <laughs> didn't like the cute little ghost dog. <laughs> Roxy, do you got a question for me? Oh, boy, do I. All right. So, mm-hmm. Mikey, in the sequence where Jack discovers the Christmas door, we see a lot of other doors as well that lead to different holidays. Um, so, out of the doors pictured in this movie, uh, if you had to pick one of these Halloween towns to live in, like, for the rest of your life, that's, that's, your, that's your town, 365 days a year, that's where you live. Uh, which mm-hmm. one would you pick and why? And we will put up the list. I'm going to list out the ones that you can choose from. So everybody knows yes. what we got here. Okay. okay. So we've got Valentine's Day, which is represented by a heart. We've got St. Patrick's Day mm-hmm. with four-leaf clover. Easter, which has an Easter egg. Independence Day, that has a firecracker. Very uh, sure. nationalistic for some reason. Uh, Halloween, which has a jack-o'-lantern. Thanksgiving, which is a turkey. And then Christmas tree, or Christmas, which has a Christmas tree. Got it. So what do you think, you know, Mikey? My, I would love to spend my life in easter town okay i think it would be so fun to spend the entire time hiding eggs like thinking of hiding spots where i'm gonna hide them putting making gift baskets i remember for me growing up and i know this is kind of an unusual thing but for me growing up easter was kind of christmas too where you get one big gift in your easter basket and i would like get a game boy like i remember i got my game Mm. boy for easter or like one video game. I remember I got Siphon Filter for PlayStation 1 for <laughs> nice. Easter. And it fucking ruled, dude. I was a secret agent. Like, I would love... It's it's like Christmas with less responsibilities. I don't have to get gifts for everybody. Just like one little gift and then some candy. Just toss it in. Mm-hmm. And then it's just that hiding of Easter eggs that would be so fun. Finding new places, clever little spots for Easter eggs. I think I would go nuts. I would start devising like Riddler-esque puzzles to tell these kids <laughs> where to find Easter eggs. Nice. Drive them mad. Oh, how fun. Which holiday zone would you live in? So, Mikey, I also chose Easter. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Oh, we love Easter. Yeah. I think because out of all of the ones you can choose from, like Easter happens during spring. There's a lot of color. It's very comfortable, like temperature mm. and environment. You know, you'd have like a lot of trees and plants like blooming. So it'd be very colorful as opposed to like Christmas time, which is very black and white. Like I said, it's springtime. So it's pretty moderate temperature. So it's not like cold 365 days a year like it would be in Christmas town. It just has very a very comfortable and kind of cozy aesthetic where it's like, yeah, if I had to spend my entire life here, this would be the one. And as you were talking about, too, you got plenty of candy. It's very it's a very candy focused holiday, which I love. You got your patron saint is a rabbit. And I love Hmm. rabbits. I think they're adorable. (laughs) That's cute. Um, And also the Easter bunny, as we saw in this movie, is like just kind of a chill (laughs) giant rabbit who got scared of being kidnapped. But uh, seems like it'd be fine otherwise. Yeah, it's just a regular rabbit. Yeah. Um, On the candy front, I know that Halloween is the candy holiday. I think Easter has the best candy. I think the Cadbury cream eggs, 
It's a lot more chocolate focused. Like Halloween has all different kinds of candy, including like a lot of gummies or other things like that. But Starburst, Easter is like the chocolate holiday. (laughs) I love a chocolate. And listen, Cadbury mini eggs are the best candy. Mm-hmm. I if I had one choice of candy for the rest of my life, it's Cadbury milk chocolate mini eggs. They're very good. Full stop. I, I agree. Full stop. Both milk chocolate and dark chocolate, really good. Hundred ten percent. We're just a couple of Easter. Yeah, Easter we just been hanging out in the Easter together as well. So hey, you you get to be my neighbor, Mikey. So that's another this is fun. <laughs> <laughs> Roxy, last week we made a bet mm-hmm. for Nightmare Before Christmas. We wanted to know what the timestamp. For the first song was, I said 11 minutes in. What did you say? I said three minutes. The moment I started this movie, I was like, what am I thinking? They're not going to introduce a song. They're not going to 11 minutes in just be like, surprise, this is a musical. It's going to be minute one. And it was. It, <laughs> it was one minute was. and 17 seconds in. <laughs> they put up a Wasting title card no and they start singing a Halloween song. So obviously. <laughs> You are going to win that point. That means All our right. scores right now stand at Roxy with 33, Mikey with 27, and Ty with four. Ooh. Mikey and Roxy, it's time once again to use the universal mirror to talk to someone from the movie. Well, here we go. Uh, this week, the universal mirror is showing me... A claymation cop? Ah, that's correct. I am an officer of the law. And I have had me a rotten Christmas cleaning up after that imposter Santa. The imposter Santa? You mean Jack Skellington? I don't know who it was. I just know the real Santa came through and gave real presents to the nice kids. But he left the naughty kids with their evil Halloween toys. And they did horrible, unspeakable things. Did they kill someone? No, what? These kids are naughty. They're not evil. Right, yeah, I can see that distinction. So what did these naughty kids do to make your Christmas so tough? They started YouTube prank shows. Oh my god, were these kids doing those really cruel pranks? Did someone get hurt? I know Tide Pods were killing kids. What? No, these kids were doing, like, jump scare pranks. One kid is waiting in people's pantries, and then when they come in, he jumps out at them with one of the toys left by the imposter Santa. A headless doll. Tons of views. Crazy, crazy how these kids got the algorithm figured out. It honestly kind of sounds like you wish you were getting these kinds of views. You don't think I'd rather be Mr. Beast than a beat cop in the Nightmare Before Christmas universe? But I can't. I don't have it in me to go around jump-scaring people without their consent. I mean, a jump-scare isn't a crime. Oh, you don't think jump-scares are crimes, do you? Well, you're right, but they're still bad. We had one kid, he took one of them pumpkin jack-in-the-boxes over to the Home Depot, sprung it right in some guy's ear, startled him, and this guy flips out, puts the kid in a (laughs) chokehold. Sounds like poetic justice to me. I mean, me too, but we had to arrest the chokehold guy, even though we wanted to arrest the prank kid. Little shit. But the worst prank, the worst prank we ever saw, well, this kid, he went through the drive-thru trying to scare the cashier. Goes to McDonald's, orders himself a Big Mac and a Coke, and when he pulls around, he's holding up a wooden duck that's been bit by a vampire. 
But I didn't scare them. They were just like, what am I looking at here? Did you shoot your duck with a gun? He starts to get into the whole, no, no, they're vampire bites deal. But then he gave up. And, and then that kid threw his coke at the cashier. They were soaked head to toe in soda. And then y'all sticky for the rest of your shift. Blech. Look, not to minimize this, but when you first brought this up, the gravitas you spoke about it with made me think someone had died. Well, uh, one kid died. For real? Oh my god, what happened? She got eaten by a big Christmas snake. And her dying wish was that everyone would subscribe to her YouTube channel. Nope, I'm realizing right now as I'm saying it, that was a prank too. She was pranking me. I hate being pranked. Well, it looks like our time's running out. Good luck with all those pranksters, I guess. Mikey and Roxy, did you enjoy your conversation with the claymation cop? What? Were we supposed to enjoy it? Why do you think I went to all the trouble to install this mirror? Do you know what long distance rates are for crossing dimensions? It puts international roaming charges to shame. Anyway, for next week, you must watch the 1974 film Black Christmas. All right, Roxy, for next week, we are going to watch Black Christmas, a slasher movie? Yeah, I have never seen this one, so I know it's one of the very early slasher movies that kind of established the genre, helped establish the genre along with, you know, like Halloween and other stuff. Look up on my telephone here. This is apparently one of those weird cult movies that people love. That My too, Google like, search people talk about it a, a lot. There's articles, people are like, why you need to see the original Black Christmas, why it's mm-hmm. bonkers. So we'll find out for ourselves how bonkers it truly is. Yeah, and while well, getting into the Christmas spirit. Like, I'm mm, sure the characters in this movie will before they are murdered. <laughs> we'll find out, I guess. <laughs> uh, let's make a bet for next week. All right. Uh, so you pick this- it. Yeah, I'll do it. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> since this is a slasher movie, how, we- how about we do a kill count? And... Based on previous kill counts, we're going to specify this time going forward, it's going to be like human kill counts. So like if somebody kills a dog in the first scene, that doesn't count anymore. Uh, So we're just going to be counting human kill count. So how many how many humans do you think are going to get Black Christmas? I'm going to say 11. Okay, yeah. I want to see a lot of kills. I I think this is like on a college or something. So that makes sense. There'd be like a bunch of students, a bunch of teens or college kids to kill. This is an aspirational bet because, like, oh. that is a big number for, like, an older movie like this. Like, remember the first Halloween had, like, three or four kills? Mm, yeah, So this that's is true. an older movie. But I just hope when they say this is a crazy movie, I hope it's crazy because they just keep killing a lot of people. <laughs> they just can't stop. They can't help themselves. <laughs> <laughs> How many kills do you think they're going to be, Roxy? Um, I'm going to guess seven, I think. Uh, seven. So go, okay. go a little bit lower, but still pretty high, honestly. Watch, it'll only be like two people. <laughs> yeah. Well, lose by a landslide. Uh, but yeah, seven seems fair based on the time period it came out. So yeah, I guess I guess we'll find out. Perfect. The bet's locked in. All Roxy, right. we've been talking about a lot of scary things. Skeletons. Oogie boogies. Movies with no thematic coherence. <laughs> but let's end this episode by talking about something that's making us happy what's been bringing a smile to your face uh so the thing that's been bringing a smile to my face is a candy bar speaking of candy (laughs) (laughs) it's called a a violet crumble i'm going to send you a link for it 
What flavor is violet? This is a candy bar that is a honeycomb covered in chocolate. Oh. And it is a Australian candy. So this is a candy from my childhood that, like, I had not oh. had in years. And then I went to World Market with a friend to do, like, some Christmas shopping. And mm-hmm. we went to their, like, food and food section and they had these sitting there. And it was like being transported oh, wow. back to being a child and being like, oh, my God, what is this doing here? <laughs> so not only did I get to get to the milk chocolate variety, which is the one that I remember growing up, they had a dark chocolate version. So I got to try a new version even, and it was also very good. Wow. And so it was very cool to be kind of like transported and find something from my childhood when I did not expect to find it, uh, you know, it's many countries away. <laughs> That's but- great. Roxy, it looks like their tagline is, it's the way that shatters that matters. How does it shatter? What does that mean? When you bite into it, like the honeycomb, like kind of fragments, I guess. It crunches Ooh. or shatters, I guess, in this like case. hexagonally? Uh, yes, in, in perfect cool. hexagons. Uh, and then you have to <laughs> gnaw on it a little bit to break it in half after that. It's delicious. It's good. Uh, it's very good. So what about you, Mikey? That's what has fun. made you happy this week? Honestly, Roxy... This has never happened before. It'll probably never happen again. But this week, what's making me happy is billionaires. We have the very obvious example of Elon Musk fucking face planting. He bought Twitter. He made the dumbest idea ever. Uh, Everybody's verified now. And it's just obviously the dumbest idea. It went out exactly as we thought it would. That was funny. But what was even funnier was the billionaire owner of the football team, the Indianapolis Colts, a man named Jim Ursay. He fired Mm -hmm. his well-respected coach and hired a man with zero NFL coaching experience named Jeff Saturday. (laughs) What? He was like a great player for the Indianapolis Colts, but like a bunch of Twitter journalists were kind of tracing the timeline from when Jim Ursay said, we are absolutely not firing our head coach. They have this ceremony for like a current player from the Colts going into like their Colts Hall of Fame. And then Jeff Saturday is there. And then that same week, he announces Jeff Saturday as the head coach. So everybody's like, did you just run into your buddy and decide to fire the million dollar coach of your football franchise to replace him with your pal? It's wow. so funny. He um he's the interim head coach of the Indianapolis Colts, and he is coming. From ESPN, where he was a commentator, he's <laughs> just talking okay. about football, like the rest of us idiots. He also coached in high school, Roxy, this Jeff Saturday. Okay. He was 20 and 16 as a high school coach. He doesn't even Wait, have 16? a good record as a Wait, high school on. coach. What? How old was he? He has won, he's won 20 games and lost 16. He's just oh. barely above 500 as a high school coach. And now he is in the absolute highest echelon of coaching. It is the biggest jump that anybody's ever made. He has zero experience. It's very funny. It's such a face plant. Billionaires, man, they're having a week and I'm enjoying it. I wonder it if it's like a, a real bit. life Ted Lasso where it's like, yeah, he just hired his friend or yeah, he just wants to tank the team. Make a bunch of bets. That oh, make make a bunch of uh, yeah, like literal bets. Bet on your team losing now that you've done this, and then make a bunch of money. Um, on gambling. Reporters <laughs> literally asked Jim Ursay that. They're like, "Are you tanking? Are you trying to get a good pick for next year?" And he was just like, "No, it's insulting you would ask that. 
Sounds like he's he gives the most, protesting too much. Mm-hmm. He has an unhinged press conference where he's like, the Indianapolis Colts, uh, since 2010, we're in the top quarter of winningest football teams. We're in the upper percentile of the upper percentile of the upper percentile. It's like because of the guy who was in charge. I assume with the players in tandem, you need both those things. You think it's very funny. <laughs> it's he's very angry about it. He also said, um, I don't know what we would have done if Jeff Saturday wasn't available. There was no other choice. And it was like, really? This guy who's never Wait, done literally it? the guy who was there. There's the guy who was there, who has won you games. Not only was there the guy who was there, there are two other former NFL head coaches on staff. People who have literally done the job before. It's very funny. It rules. I love football. It's so funny because these people are dumb. Well, I hope he loses a lot of money. He will. (laughs) Uh, Roxy, it's time now for Haunted Plugs. Where can people find you on the internet? So Scary Basement itself has a Twitter, which is scary underscore basement. I am on Twitter as Red Mage Roxy, and I'm also on Twitch as Red Mage Roxy. I stream three days a week on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. Hmm. And I am on Twitter at Secret Blimp, and I'm on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Secret Blimp. You can find me there on Twitch Mondays at 8.30 p.m. and Thursdays at 8.30 p.m. Also, make sure to give us five stars, five scary stars, on your favorite podcast app of choice. Also, leave a review. You know that helps us out. And don't forget to share and scare this podcast with your friends. And as always, don't sign any contracts offered to you by demon robots. <laughs>